0: Well, this morning, Pastor Marsha is continuing our series, How Do I? And we're going to take a look at How Do I Relate? Now, Pastor Marsha is a very fun and uh, outgoing and amazing uh, pastor and woman. And because they have to talk, we're talking about relating to God, we thought it'd be interesting to see how two people who are related to her think. So would you join, would you join me as we welcome up Josh and Kristen as we get ready to for our Jinx challenge this morning? Josh. Hi, Kristen. Hello. All right, so this morning we're going to do the Jinx Challenge. And how we play the Jinx Challenge is what's going to happen is I'm going to have a category, and I'm going to count down 3, two, 1, and Josh and Kristen are going to have to say the first thing that comes to their head, to their mind. But uh, we wanted to make this a little bit more fun, so we need some props. Thank you, Erica. Because we got to relate. we got to make sure you guys relate to each other. We've got to connect you guys somehow.
1: I need the big one.
0: It would fit you. <laughs> it's my brain power. Oh, It's a giant head. Smart, that's why. <laughs> Even big ego, that's why. Josh, how come you have the small one?
1: not as smart <laughs> as my <mind>. sister. <laughs> 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 I'm cool. not as smart. <laughs> <laughs> Mom,
0: what you mean. Typical tattletale. <laughs> can you tell they're related? Uh, hey. All right, so like I said, I'm gonna give you guys a category, and then I'm gonna count down three, two, one, and then you guys are gonna say the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay? Okay. Gotcha. All right. Here's the first category: football team. Oh uh, well, wait, wait! I gotta, wait, I gotta calm down. count down. Three, two, one. The <laughs> No. As you can see, if they get jinxed, uh, Josh they pinch each other. Okay, so do, it, it, their again. do and it again. Do it She punches. Okay. Uh, football team. But it <laughs> She didn't even count. <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, how's about basketball teams? Three, two, one.
1: The Spurs. one with Michael Jordan.
0: The one oh, with oh, Michael oh, oh. Jordan. <laughs> I
1: don't... He,
0: did... he played on two teams, Kirsten. Let's just, just say. The one of them, though. Okay. Oh. Uh, let's try one more time. Uh, we'll try Lee's football team. Wait, what? Wait, what? Like, not favorite... See, I'm trying to change this up. Oh, okay, go. Not go, go. favorite football answer. team, okay? You can count. Any football team, actually. Three, two, one. 49ers. Three, two, one. 49ers.
1: Oh. Winner. Oh. <laughs> Cheater, I win. Did you?
0: You guys see what Pastor Marsha and Uncle Tom had to deal with, right? Okay. All right. All right. Second category. Ooh. Okay, here we go. Yeah. The category the, the is not so fun anymore, huh? <laughs> the category, <laughs> the category is favorite child. Three, Kristen, two, one.
1: Kristen, Kristen.
0: <laughs> you gotta let me calm down, Kristen.
1: No, I'm the favorite. I don't wait.
0: Hey, if that's what you need in life to be happy. Okay, we'll go to the last. I category. just wait, wait,
1: wait. There was no argument from him, so that. Whatever. Go. Continue. Sorry.
0: All right. Whatever you need. Family dinner is going to be interesting tonight. Okay. All right. Last category is reindeer names. Three, two, one. (laughs) Rudolph. Jinx. You can't talk. (laughs) Let's give a round of applause to Josh and Kristen. (laughs) This morning we're going to see how do I relate to God and how does God relate to me. And speaking of relationship, let's give it up for Pastor Marshall.
1: Those are Tom's kids. They're not mine. <laughs> so, as you can see, um, just because you're related doesn't mean you know everything about each other or anything like that. And since we're talking about relationships, just to let you know, um, we're part of the 4th Corps denomination. But within the 4th Corps denomination, we're part of the Pacific Southwest District. That's a newly formed district. And they are having their very first conference. So, Pastor Sheldon is actually the Division superintendent in Hawaii. We have a team. He's the division superintendent. So he and Heidi actually flew over to be part of the conference. He wanted to be here today, but he'll be here next week. And also, Bunny Correa is um, the next gen representative for the state of Hawaii. So she's also at the conference. So they'll both be back next week and we'll be back to normal. But for day, you get me. So, (laughs) anyways. Um, we are talking about um, how I relate to God. And I wanted to tell you this story about me. And it seems whenever I start off with a story about me, it involves me sneaking around and doing things. And I want you to know, I was actually a very good kid. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. So when we were little, and I think I was like five, six, somewhere around there, bedtime was a very sane hour, like 7.30, 8 o'clock. And I would go to bed, but I'd hear the TV on in the living room. And my parents liked spooky shows, and so you could hear all the drama and the music and all that, and I was always nosy, and so I would sneak down the hall, and then I would hide in the hall, and I'd watch the movie, which, again, because I like spooky movies, were scary, and at five or six, what came out of that is I became afraid of the dark, so my mom thought she was going to solve this problem, and she went to the store, and she brought me this little eight and a half by ten, it was a picture picture. And in the bottom corner of the picture is this little girl, and she's looking up to heaven, and she's praying at the side of her bed, and she looks really holy and all that. And then the top corner, it shows like the night sky. And then in between is this prayer, which most of us, I think, know. And the prayer is, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now, that's, she gave me that. She wanted it to bring comfort to me. However, as a child, I also had this view of God, and my view of God was kind of the reverse Santa Claus thing. So Santa, Santa Claus, you know, he checks it for good, but in my view of God as a kid, I thought God God had this book, and my, our names were in it, and every time I did something wrong, there was a little black check mark in the book. And so when my mom brought this prayer to me, combined with my view of God and the book and the checkmark, it terrified me because I pray the Lord my soul to take. I was asking him to come and take my soul, and I thought, you know, God's up there marking off little black checkmarks by my name, and at some point, we're going to hit the magic number, and he's going to come at night, and he's going to suck my soul back to heaven. And so this prayer did not bring me comfort. It brought me fear. See, how I viewed God affected how I related to him. I viewed him as a rule taker. And so I was fearful. Now, it's important to know that our view of God affects how we relate to him because how we relate to God affects how others see him through us in how we respond to what he allows in our lives. And what should have brought me comfort as a child brought me fear because my view of God was false and it was inadequate. And because I expected God to be overly concerned with my behavior and taking notes, I saw him as ready to take my soul at night instead of being someone who brings me hope and brings me life. The incorrect view of God that I had is not the only one. Because if I were to poll you guys, we all have our own partial and false views of God. And many times we relate to God based on our expectations of him rather than who he is. And rather than relate to God, capital G, who is our creator, we relate to a small g God who we created. And we created that God based on our expectations. Andy Stanley talks about these gods and he names them. He calls the first one bodyguard God. Some of us know bodyguard God. He's supposed to protect us. I'm his child. I'm a Christian. He's going to protect me from harm. He's going to protect me from evil. And all I expect from God is to protect me. And if we don't have bodyguard God, then we have on-demand God. See, on-demand God, because God said he would provide me with what I need, that means I could go to him in prayer. I could make my demands, and because God loves me and I'm his child, on-demand God will give me what I need. And if we don't have that, then we have what Andy Stanley calls boyfriend or girlfriend God. Boyfriend or girlfriend God is God that we always feel. See, God's promise to always be there to never leave us or to forsake us. And so boyfriend or girlfriend God is always there. I should always feel his presence. We hear those people, oh, I was praying this morning and the presence of the Lord just fell on me. You should have been at worship. Oh, my gosh, the presence of the Lord. That's boyfriend or girlfriend God. We always want to feel his presence. Guilt God is the God that I knew. If I did it, he was going to be aware of it and it was wrong as a Christian, if you want to do it and it's going to be fun, then the answer is no. That's guilt God. And then there's gap God. Gap God fills in all the gaps. He conveniently explains what we cannot explain, what there's no explanation for. Gap God fills in the blanks. And while all these gods are partial views of God, they're not all of God. And they all fall apart somewhere. You see, bodyguard God falls apart when we read the Bible. Because Daniel went into the lion's den. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, was beaten, he was stoned, he was imprisoned. And bodyguard God actually falls apart on the very first day of Christianity. Because something very horribly wrong happened to a very good very perfect man. Jesus went to the cross and he died the most excruciatingly painful death. Embarrassing. And Where was bodyguard God in that? But see, we have the good news in that Jesus rose from the dead. And he rose from the dead to provide a way for us to be with God. On demand, God falls apart. It's going to fall apart probably in a couple of hours. Because see, right now, I am hoping for the 49ers to win against the Cowboys. And Glenn Motuishi, our um, worship director, is hoping for the Cowboys to win. So what does on-demand God do when you have two equally good requests from equally good people? How does on-demand God fill that? Then the boyfriend or girlfriend God. That falls apart in we don't take notice of the constants in our life. I don't feel the air conditioning if I'm in the room and it's comfortable. If it's too cold, oh my gosh, it's too cold. If it's too low, it's too hot. I don't notice the air conditioning unless I walk out of the room. It's super hot. Then I walk back in and go, oh, I feel so good. And in all the 56 years of my life, I have never, ever woke up and said, oh my gosh, I feel so Filipino howly today. I just am. It's a constant in my life. I just am. And God is. Just is there with us always, all the time. Gap God, okay, you got to hear me because I totally, totally believe in miracles. I've seen miracles happen in that prayer room, I've seen miracles happen in prayer. Our denomination, if just Foursquare, was founded in California. And I got to visit the first church there, and they have a room in that church called the 400 Room. And when they open the door, it's just a storeroom. There's hospital beds in there, there's canes, there's glasses, there's wheelchairs. And what would happen when Amy Semple McPherson, who founded this, this denomination, would have these prayer meetings, hospitals would drive up, drop patients off on their medical beds and wheelchairs, and they would leave them there because they knew they were going to be healed. And there is no explanation for that. And I totally, totally believe in that. And I hope for that. And I ask God for miracles when I pray. But Gap God falls apart really simple. Because we want everything to be explained and the explanation is God. I need a parking space. And I prayed and I drove around and, oh my gosh, I got the first parking space. God loves me. Really? Because what about the guy behind you who was praying for the same parking space? Does Gap God not love him? See, when the answer is always God, it falls apart. It reminds me of this joke of the two kids in Sunday school in the mainland, and the teacher is teaching them about creation. And he says, she says, okay, so it's an animal. It's brown. It's furry. It lives up in a tree and collects nuts. And the little boy turns to the other and says, okay, I know it's a squirrel, but it's Sunday school, so the answer is Jesus. <laughs> See, Jesus is not always the answer. We can't always turn to gap God to try to fill in the blanks. And these views only go so far, and then they're going to fail. But God is not the one who failed. We say he did. If he doesn't protect me, oh, God let me down. I don't feel his presence. God doesn't love me. He's not there. But God never fails. Our views of God is what fails And when we relate to God out of our expectations, we shortchange ourselves out of the relationship that God wants with us because we were created to have relationship with him. And then when we start acting out of our expectations, we don't have the relationship we were intended to have. So how do we relate to God? Well, you can write this in your notes. Number one, take an honest and hard look at what I expect from God. What do I expect from him? See, if we're honest with ourselves, our par- partial and wrong views of God stem from what we expect from him, and what we expect from God comes from our culture. See, what we expect from God in America is way different than what they expect from God in third world countries. And that's why we say to you read your Bible. Instead of letting everybody else define who God is, instead of letting my wants, my needs, my expectations define who God is, I need to say, no, who this says God is. And this is the God that I need to relate to. I need to relate to the God that the Bible defines rather than whom everybody else is saying and who I am expecting him to be. Because the gods that we expect eventually are going to fail. In the book of Exodus, we get a first-hand picture of the Israelites projecting their expectations onto God and the decision that they make when they try to follow him based on those expectations. See, through several miraculous events, God delivered them out of Egypt. There was frogs that was too numerous to count, there were gnats, there were boils, there was darkness, There was blood in the water. There was a death of the firstborn. God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt through many miracles. And then not only did he deliver them through that, but he walked with them through that time for those 40 years. When they left Egypt and they're crossing through and they get to the Red Sea and they think, oh, my gosh, we're sunk. It was God who separated the Red Sea and they walked across on dry ground. And when that last Israelite got across and they turned and looked to see the Egyptian army coming after them, the Red Sea closed up and destroyed the army that was pursuing them. And they got to experience that and see that. They saw God's protection on them. They felt and experienced his provision because they ate manna. It's bread from heaven. It was never eaten before. I can't go to Safeway and buy a loaf of it. It's never been had again. The Israelites that God was walking through into the Israel, were the only ones who ever experienced manna. When they didn't have water, God gave it to them out of a rock. The Israelites experienced the presence of God, and they walked with him. And I would think of all the people, these people would not put expectations on God. In Exodus 19, 9 through 11, we read where God actually shows up for them. And it says in um, verse 9, The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear when I speak with you and will always believe you. And then Moses reported the people's words to the Lord. And the Lord told Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. They must wash their clothes and be prepared by the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And then verse 16 through 20 continues. On the third day, when morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a loud trumpet sound, so that all the people in the camp shuddered. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. It's smoke. It's smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai at the top of the mountain. And then the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain, and he went up. And man, I would have loved to have been there to see that. And I think we can safely agree together that with all their previous experiences with God, All the miracles that they saw, all the provision that they had experienced, that of all the people, the Israelites would be the last ones to have expectations on God. But that's not so. Because while Moses is on Mount Sinai, the people traded away their experience for expectation. In chapter 32, 1 through 6 in Exodus, this is what we read. When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And then Aaron replied to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So, all the people took off the gold rings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from their hands, fashioned it with an engraving tool, and made it into an image of a calf. And then they said, Israel, this is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and then he made an announcement There will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. And early the next morning, they arose, offered burnt offerings, And presented fellowship offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink, and then they got up to play. See, the Israelites were quickly distracted from following God when he no longer met their expectations. They placed these ideas on him, and when he he didn't move the way they expected, when they, they forgot everything that they had experienced. They set out, and they made an image of a God that they could relate to. And by the time Jesus walked on the earth, things didn't change much. See, when Jesus was here on the earth, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and the Pharisees were there. And Jesus, because he's a creator and because he loves us, he saw this blind man, and he wants to heal him. So he made mud, and he put it on the man's eyes and healed the man do you know what the Pharisees said? In Luke 9, 16, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? And so they were divided. Now imagine that. The Creator is standing before them. He performs a miracle, and they see this, and they have this expectation that the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to follow this list of rules because they're Jewish. And so we have these rules, and you can't do any work on the Sabbath, and oh my gosh, he healed on the Sabbath. So therefore, based on our expectations, this cannot be from God. They're unable to relate to Jesus because he didn't meet their expectations. And when we define God by our expectations, we conform him to a false likeness of who he really is. The prophet Isaiah wrote, Who will you compare God with? What likeness will you compare him to? See, when we measure God to our expectations, we minimize who he is. See, we should actually respond to God by who he is rather than what I want him to be, who I say he should be, or what I expect. And when I resort to my expectations, then I resort to, re- I relate to God from my emotions rather than out of trust. If he doesn't meet my expectations, I guard my heart. I move tentatively when I think I should be doing something, and I don't fully trust him. That's why I need to put aside my expectations. And that's your second point. Let go of my expectations. See, my expectations actually don't define God. They define me. Because my expectations are, this is what I want, this is what I expect, this is the way it should be done. This is where it should be done. And all that says is everything about me, who I am, what I want, what I expect. It's about me. And when we relate to God and others based on our expectations, it changes day to day. Because expectations are like shifting sand. It moves. You know, a a while back, um, my husband and I had the same days off. So one day, you do all the chores. And that takes all day. But the second day... We get to go and do things fun. So one day he tells me, you know, I know we're off tomorrow, but I have the guys coming up to do the electricity for the air conditioning. No, he didn't say that. He just said, I need to be in tomorrow. i got some stuff to do. And I was like, what? Do you know that this is our, you're taking from my time. If you got stuff to do, do it when it's work, especially if it's work-related. Don't take from me. Then he said, it's for the electricity for the air conditioning. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, go go do that. Because, you know, we need to get the air conditioning in for the kids. Go right ahead. Now, did the fact that it was a day off change? Nope. Did the fact that it took time for me change? Nope. Did the fact that he had to come in when he shouldn't have had to come in change? No. The only thing that changed was me. As soon as I saw what it was, my expectations shifted, and I was okay with it. Our expectations stunt us, and they prevent us from moving forward. And when I relate to God based on how he fulfills my expectations, guess who misses out? It's not God. I miss out. But there's another way. See, I can put aside my expectations, and then I can seek God as the Scripture defines him. He's so much bigger than the things that I want or expect from him. And instead of settling for a small g imitation of God, I can relate to him as he truly is. But I have to learn to look past what I expect. Now a lot of you know me, and I get lost extremely easy. Like if I'm not paying attention when I park my car at Walmart, I I don't know where to go. And I tell people I'm directionally dysfunctional when I can't get to where I need to go. And that's maybe this much of the reason. The other half of the reason is I quit listening. Because once I think I know where I'm going, all I hear is blah, 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 blah. Because I, th- I know where I'm going. So a few months back, I needed to do a house blessing, and I'm a- talking to the person, and I'm asking where the house is. They gave me the d- um, address, which is good. I wrote that down. They gave me the directions, and at one point, I said, oh, I know where this is, and so I didn't hear anything else. And then come the day of the house blessing, I'm driving around, and then the house is near um, Prince Cuyo Plaza. And I'm driving in that area, and I'm thinking, okay, wait. It's not here. Okay, try turn here. Or it's not. Wait, try go this way. It's not. I'm like, where is that house? So I went to Cuyo Plaza, and I put my, took my phone out, I put on GPS, and the house was off of Kalmana. <laughs> See, because I expected and quit listening I was in the wrong place. And we do that to God. We quit listening. We quit looking. And we go with what our expectations are. And then we settle for less than who God truly is. But we cannot look for God to fulfill our expectations of him. We have to look for him. Totally God. Period. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And all my heart means I lay aside my wants. It's not I want God to. It's I lay aside my wants. I lay aside my plans. It's not what I want God to do, how I want God to do it, when I want God to do it. I put it aside. And I lay aside my way of doing things. I don't tell God, do it this way. Don't do it this way. Show up here. I get his way of doing things. I seek God with my whole heart. And it's not divided by my desires, my wants, or my expectations. I'm fully attentive to him. A couple of years ago, my um, granddaughter Peyton made five years old And so for her birthday, we took her to the Disney Aulani Resort. Now, I don't know if you know this about Disney, so if you don't, I'll tell you a little secret. When you go to any of their properties, they have what's called hidden Mickeys that are hidden throughout. And part of the fun is as you're going through the parks, you look for the hidden Mickeys. So I thought it would be a great idea to teach my five-year-old granddaughter to look for hidden Mickeys because I'm turning her into a mini-me. And so we're at Alani, and I'm telling her, okay, this is what you got to look for. You know, and it's not always going to be the full Mickey Mouse. It's going to be the ears or whatever. And five-year-olds walk slowly as it is. And so now we're walking really slow because she's looking, and she's going to find those Mickeys. And rather from going from point A to point B, now she's walking with purpose. And she's looking, and she's going to find a Mickey. And that's how we need to live our life. See, we get up in the morning, and we go to our breakfast. Then we go to our job. Then from our job, we go home, spend some time with the family. Then from our family, we go, we have some relaxation time. And we go from point A to point B to point C, and we never look for God. But we need to look for God. We must be willing to relate to him how he truly is. And we need to notice his presence. He's there. He's there. We just need to look for Him, and we cannot look for an imitation. I cannot look for what I want, my expectations. I need to look for God. See, we should never feel that it's okay to define God and who He needs to be by who we want Him to be. We have to relate to Him as He truly is. The writer the book of Hebrews wrote, So then... Since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of the gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. The Bible tells us who God is. And who to expect. He's our high priest. He's holy. He's gracious. He gives us mercy. See, when I was little and I was afraid of that prayer, it's because I didn't see God's throne as one of mercy. I saw it as judgment. And yes, God does judge, but He judges in mercy. And I needed the whole picture. He's not who I thought He was as a child. He's seated on a throne of grace. He faced the very same things that we face. He understands our fears and our doubts. He understands what makes us happy, what makes us sad. God accepts us as we are. He doesn't say, jump through this loop loophole, do all these things, and then I'll accept you. He accepts us just as we are. And he may walk with us along the way to becoming who he's called us to be, But we don't have to be that person first. He accepts us as we are. And shouldn't we do the same to God? Shouldn't we accept God for who he is rather than who I think he should be? Shouldn't we relate to God as he truly is? See, the only way we're going to relate to the Father and to truly know him is to know his Son. And you can write that for number three. Number three is come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus. Pure and simple. Put away your list of wants. Put away your desires. Put away your demands. Put away your expectations. And just come to Jesus. See, it's through Jesus that we have relationship with God. And not only do we have relationship with God, but we actually know what God is really like. The writer of Hebrews wrote, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty uh, on high. The Son is the exact expression of God's nature. So if I want to know what the Father looks like, I only need to look at Jesus. He's a full expression of his Father. The Apostle Paul wrote in a letter to the church at Colossae, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. See, when I read the New Testament and I see how Jesus loved people, that's how the Father loves me. When I see that the miracles Jesus did I know that the Father is still doing that today. When I see the forgiveness and the acceptance and the grace that was extended to the outcast, to the unlovable, to the marginal, I know that's exactly what God is still doing today. In fact, our scripture, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when I look at Jesus, I see the Father. Now, the disciples... They have the same questions we do. And they questioned Jesus. How do we know? How do we find God? How? And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? See, everything that Jesus did was a direct picture of the Father. And if I want to know how to relate to God, that I simply come to Jesus. Pure and simple. I just come to Jesus. I'm going to close with this story, and you can actually put your notes and Bibles away. The story is told, and Pastor Wayne told this in his book, um, Jesus Pure and Simple. And it's about a father who's very rich. And he's an art collector. And he owns all these beautiful art pieces, Picassos and Michelangelo's and all these beautiful art pieces. And he has a son that he loves so dearly. And the son went off to war. And this father missed his son. But he continued to do what he did. He continued to collect the art. And one day, the father gets that note that all fathers and mothers of children who are at war don't want. And he found out that his son had died. And it brought him sadness. And he had memories of his son. But he still continued collecting his art pieces. And one day, there's a knock at his door. And he opens the door, and there's a young man there, and he's carrying a package. And the young man comes in, he says, I know you don't know me well, but I actually served with your son. He's a good guy. In fact, he died trying to save some of us. And you don't know this, but on one of those days when it was quiet and there was not a lot happening, I actually sketched a portrait of your son. And I thought, you know, you must miss him, and I'm sure you'd want this. And so he presents to the father this portrait. And it's not it wasn't great. It was good, but it wasn't great. But even though it wasn't an art piece, it became the father's favorite art possession. It had a place of honor in the living room. Well, one day the father finally passes away, and they're going to auction off all his art pieces. And so art collectors come from all around the world because they want to buy his art. He has an extensive art collection. And so they're all sitting down, and the auctioneer comes out, and the first piece is up here, and he takes the covering off, and it's a portrait of the sun. And the, all the art collectors in the gathering, "What is that? We didn't come here for, "I meant your art. We want the real stuff. We want the art. Where's the Picassos? Bring out the real things. And the auctioneer is steady. And he says, our first piece. Our first piece is a portrait of the man's son. And we're starting the bidding at $100. And the people are like, we don't want this. Get it off. Move on. Get to the real things. We want the art. How much am I bid on this? We'll start the bidding at $100. Who will bid 100 And the complaining is continuing. And finally, an old man stands up. And he says, you know what? I don't have much money. But I'll bid 100 on that because I knew the family. I knew the father. I knew the son. I knew the mom. It would honor me to have this art piece. I'll bid 100. And so the auctioneer says, okay, I have 100. I have 100. Who bid? Give me 110. Give me 110. Who's got 110? And the people are saying, take the bid. Let's move on. Take the bid. 110. 110. Give me 110. Nobody give me 110. Okay, sold. $100. And then the auctioneer goes and he closes up the catalog. And the people are saying, what are you doing? You've got the art. You've got to auction off the art. What are you doing? And the auctioneer says, as per the Father's request, he who took the Son gets it all. And that's the same with us. Per our Father's request, when we receive the Son, we receive it all. We don't receive bodyguard God. We receive a God who guards our bodies and our souls for all eternity. We don't receive on-demand God. We receive a God who provides for his children. Maybe not in the way we want, maybe not how we want, maybe not what we want, but he provides for us. When we receive God, we receive a God who not only answers what we cannot answer, what's indescribable, he is indescribable. And we receive a God who doesn't place guilt on us. But by the blood of his son, Jesus, on the cross, he removes our guilt, and he extends mercy. And when we receive the son, we receive it all. And If you want to relate to the father, you come to the son. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. And some of us, I'm going to do this before we pray. Some of us are saying, you know what, I, I need to receive the son. That's my first step. I want to receive it all, but I've yet to receive the Son. And I need the forgiveness and the mercy that Jesus brings. And so I want to receive Him. So if you have your eyes closed, heads bowed, if you want to receive the Son, could you raise your hand so we could pray for you? Right there, right there. Right there, there. Right here.
0: Right here and here.
1: Back there, here. Right here, right here. Right there, right there. Right here. Okay, you can put your hands down. Right here. Just repeat after me, please. Lord Jesus, I receive you. Thank you for going to the cross and for making a way for me to be with the Father. And so, would you come now and remove all my guilt and fill me instead with your love, with your precious presence. And with your grace, I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. And, Lord, I pray this for all of us. Would we put aside every expectation, want, and desire that we have? And instead, would we receive you as you are and for who you said you are? Would we walk with our eyes open and our hearts sensitive to you? And would we know you as Scripture says? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, we're going to continue. We're going to close out, and we're going to declare that it's his love. And this Wednesday, Pastor Ben is going to continue on in our salt series, so please join us there. Thursday, we have Divine Mentor. Would you stand and join our worship team?